Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James. Today on the podcast, I've got a listener, Niall Kumar. And these type of episodes, they are a money story episode. We call them an MMS, which is My Money Story. And we just chat with you, the listener. And Niall was brave enough to send an email and, you know, he got our attention and it was the right place at the right time. And I liked liked his story, so I thought... Hey, let's get him on the podcast. So, welcome to the podcast, Niall. Thanks, mate. Great to be here. Now, you've been a listener for a couple of years now. You weren't really into uh, podcasts as such, um, and you wanted to make better use of your time. So, just tell us a bit of an elevator pitch, um, how you found the podcast, and what are some of the things that, I don't know, you... um, get from listening to podcasts like My Millennial Money? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, look, you, you sort of hit the nail on the head there. I was, I was very much a, a YouTube learner, if anything. Um, I was having this discussion with my wife yesterday, actually, just saying like, you know, I s- usually struggle when I pick up, you know, a book or an article or um, something that doesn't require all of my senses at once to, to sort of pay attention. Um, so, yeah, it was just, just sort of stuck in uh, learning off YouTube. And I, I think I stumbled upon it, to be honest. Um, um, I, I do this thing uh, where I go searching for like, like movies or TV shows related to money just because I'm, I'm super interested in it. And I, people have just been hammering me, oh, podcasts are great when you're in the gym, when you're, you know, when you're, when you're in the car. So I went, all right, let me just bang it in, money. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you guys are the first one that came up and I went, sweet, I'm a millennial, I like money, let's, <laughs> let, let's yeah. give it a listen. I think the first couple I listened to were – I don't remember them off the top of my head, but they were surrounding property or there was a discussion on property um, mm. and that that really grabbed my attention because that's uh, that would have been at the point where I was still working in the tech world but had this real interest in property and, and kind of just wanted to absorb, um, you know, people's thoughts and information on that. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's sort of what really hooked me in and, and it, it sort of just flowed from there. You know, it wasn't like a religious every week, but, um, mm. you know, I'd, I'd yeah, as I said, jump in the gym or jump in the car and, and throw one on for, for half or 45. And it was good. You know, some of the stuff I, I sort of already knew, but but other stuff I'd pick up. And it's I think I just enjoy conversations about money. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you sometimes struggle to have in person and it's, it's just good to sort of hear them in any capacity. Yeah. And it's like, to be honest, I'm not above anything. And I use this podcast like the next person just to keep encouraged, like you know, Glenn James is not your guru. And if I am, I'm, if I haven't let you down, I will. Uh, don't worry about that. So it, it's more of My Millennial Money is a platform for all of us to come around and just be encouraged. And if we pick up one thing, awesome. 
so you're 30 years old. Uh, you've just said you're married. How long have you been married? So we got married in January of this year, actually. So pretty recent for uh, going, yeah, yeah, nine, nine, ten months. Um, yeah. yeah we, we got lucky. We hit that little window between last year's COVID <laughs> and this year's COVID. And, That's right. Um, yeah. We, we did postpone it once, I, I will say. So it was meant to be October last year and, and it sort of got close to it. And we went, oh, let's, let's push this out in the hope that we can get a lot of our overseas family. Um, I've got an Indian background and my wife's um, Lebanese. Um, so, yeah, we, we pushed for that and, and in the end we just went, you know what, the, we don't know how long it's going to be to get people from overseas, so let's just push ahead with it and got lucky that we managed to score a date in January. So, yeah. Did family come in from India and Lebanon? No, so they couldn't. The, but yeah. just the border restrictions, yeah. So we, um, you know, the the wonders of technology. We we ended up live streaming it um, to 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 people all over the world. I think um, I've got a stupidly big family. I've got like twenty something cousins and yeah, like wow. 10, 10 aunties, and they're all literally all over the world, like UK, South Africa, US, India. Um, so I think the the bloke who was live streaming it said that it's easily the the most continents and countries that one of his has been streamed too. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Probably saved on uh, money as well, having a, a lean wedding. Yeah. Oh, look, it was it was definitely still a, a hit to the back pocket, but it could have been much worse. Yeah. Now, you graduated uni with an arts and music degree. Tell us just, I guess, the progression of, you know, I'm at school, I want to go to uni and, you know, maybe, what, 12 years ago now. Um, what was your thought process and, you know, a lot of us, when we hit 30 and when we hit 35, we look back and go, hang on, I had no freaking idea what I was doing. Uh, because, And I want to kind of tap into this thought process of what you went to uni for and then what you're doing now. Uh, so people that are listening who are under 25 can be encouraged and also people who maybe are doing what they're doing now and don't like it can be encouraged to change. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think it's it's probably the reason I reached out in the first place. Um, you know, mm. to to touch base with you was um, not that you know, as you said, I'm not some you know guru or, or, or expert um, by any means. But you know, I just thought of I've sort of been through a bit of a unique story, um, and and it's more about sort of helping and inspiring people to to sort of take that plunge if 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 that's what you know they're really after. So yeah, look backtrack to, to high school so look I was I was pretty fortunate um, to to go to one of the um, major private schools here in Sydney I, I probably won't mention which one but um, yeah it was one of the major private schools and, and I got a really um, I guess well-rounded education so you know I was super involved in sport um, obviously academics um, music and drama in particular so it sort of opened my world up a little bit um, at, at quite a young age into knowing where my strengths were and, and sort of where my weaknesses were. And at the time, like academics, studying, that sort of thing, like I wasn't a bad student, but I wasn't exactly, you know, uh, light in the world on fire. Um, mm. But the two sort of areas outside of playing footy <laughs> that I really enjoyed were uh, drama, drama slash music and business studies you know, not correlated whatsoever, but I just found that I had this insane sort of interest and passion in both of them and I just threw myself at it. Like without consciously saying I'm going to work really hard, I just found myself, you know, throwing 110% at it, whereas stuff that I wasn't really interested in, you know, history and um, and even maths. I was great with numbers, but I hated maths and then I just yeah. avoid it like the plague. 
And so I graduated, you know, got pretty decent marks when I left year 12 and I went to uni and like a lot of people, you know, in, in my situation coming out of some of these private schools do, they either get into law, medicine, or they just do a business degree um, because you grow up with this really well-rounded education, but there's a bit of a bottleneck at the top in terms of how they sort of mould you and craft you into, uh, you know, deciding what you want to do. Um, you know, there was never a discussion about what if I like property or, you know, what if I like construction or something sort of outside that realm. And there's a lot of tradition, I think, in that um uh, in those schools and and so they do sort of still mould you towards those kind of careers and to cut a long story short I, I actually went to uni with a business degree um, so I, I started a commerce degree and I did about uh, I think two months <laughs> uh, the, the first two months um, business management marketing accounting and statistics I think my first four subjects and I was doing fine but I was just bored you know I'd spend six hours at the bar and one hour at class <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like like this you know this sucks uh, which was strange for me because of how much I'd loved studying business at at school and learning those kind of foundations I went to my parents and I just said look I, I don't want to do this um, I just got my first sort of proper job um, I was selling wine over the phone wholesale <laughs> to, to mums and dads um, I loved it I went to work in in footy shorts and you're, you're a little uh, Gary Vaynerchuk yeah, yeah. on the up and coming <laughs> yeah exactly no, I used to used to go to uni and I'd drive out to Auburn I worked with three of my best mates as well and you know we'd all sit there and make fun of each other tease each other and basically just call up you know stay-at-home mums and and some blokes are on their their way home from work and selling bottles of Shiraz and Sav Blanc. (laughs) Love it. Um, Hey just um on that like you know cold calling it's like I made the decision in my first financial planning business the day I have to cold call is the day I give up because I'm just not doing it like what skills did you work walk away with or what did you like that's such a savage brutal job you know, what did you learn walking away from that? Yeah, so um, it's it's interesting. Like that job, there was a, it was sort of a mix. I'd, I'd almost call it warm calling because they, these people had sort of uh, given some indication at some point that they were interested in buying wine. And look, when you're selling wine, it's not a hard conversation. Like you know, you, mm. you're not trying to milk heaps of money from them or or you know sell them something that they don't want. Like you know, most of the time, people want wine, and if it's a good deal, they're probably going to buy it, especially if it's shipped to their door and they don't have to think about it. So, mm. um, I think from from that job, what I learned was just relationships. Like you know, we'd have new Sab Blancs coming in every couple of months, and so you'd end up calling the same people because you know who yes. buys Marlborough Sauvignon Blancs from, you know, New South Wales or WA or wherever you're calling at that particular um, time of the day and you just have a chat with them. And, uh, and you know, I, I spent sort of seven, eight years in sales after that when I got into my full-time work and mm. that's something I tried to never let go of was regardless of if I'm selling, you know, a $10 bottle of Sauvignon Blanc or $500,000 worth of software, just have a proper relationship with people, you know, don't buy into that sort of, oh, here's my script, I've got to follow my script and, and you know, if, if they say no, I've got to push back and that sort of thing. Like, I've just never bought into it. Hey, do you know, I was thinking, uh, you know, you, you when you drive, you think random stuff. On this whole relationship thing, 
I think society is becoming so transactional and transient to the detriment of community and relationship. Like it was like, cause I was reviewing my mortgage rates and it, for me, I wasn't just going to go, all right, I'm going to look for somewhere else and get a cheaper rate. It was like, no, I'm going to go back to who I'm doing business with to start with, give them the first right to have a crack for my business. Yeah. Like I did the same with my internet the other day. I was paying way too much. I was on the wrong plan. I'm like, no, no, I'm just going to go back to them. Um, where we're so bombarded with, you know, um, and particularly in the money world, like all these investing platforms are coming up, race to the bottom for zero, zero, zero fees and all that. It's just everything's so transactional. And I, I don't know. I Maybe I'm blindly loyal. I don't know. But like, has that been your experience from just a human point of view as well? Yeah, look, I, I think I'm I'm a bit like you. Like, you know, uh, loyalty sort of means a lot to me. And if I've had a great experience with someone, I'll, I'll generally go out of my way to either let them know or, or, you know, for future transactions or future business, go back to them. Because um, I think you're right. Like, I think we've devalued how good you can make someone else feel and how good you feel when you have a great interaction with someone, you know, just, just a good chat or just, a, a, you know, someone you meet in the street, like a perfect example, my, my wife and I bought an apartment off the plan, um, you know, over in, in Lane Cove and the other day driving back, uh, oh, sorry, going for a drive and we said, let's go check it out. Let's see what, you know, where it's at at the moment. It's about meant to be about three months from completion. So about six in the evening, we're standing outside this scaffolded building and uh, this guy sort of, it's a quiet street, this guy sort of pulled up next to us in this uh, AMG Mercedes and it took his sunglasses off and he looks at us and he looks up at the building and he goes, um, oh, have you guys just just bought in here? And um, we said, yeah, yeah, just that one, you know, up the up the top there. And he said, oh, you know, my daughter lives in just, just this building here and I take my granddaughter down to the park down the road. Well, And he stuck his hand out and he said, oh, congratulations, you know, really happy for you guys. It's a great, uh, it's a great area. Um, you know, have a great day. And he drove off. Never met yeah, this guy, beautiful. no idea who he yeah. is. And, Amazing. and I said to my wife, I'm just like, that was a, like you just feel so good, and mm. and I think even more so because it doesn't happen anymore. Like you, mm. you, you just don't get that anymore. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I think things have become very transactional, and, and I don't necessarily think it's a conscious decision from people. I think you're right. I think we are just so bombarded, and so it makes everyone almost skeptical when someone does sort of reach out or, or you know, try and interact with you from a place of, uh, from a genuine place, I guess, you go, oh, what, what do they want from me? Yeah, and, and this is funny, like even when you emailed me, because I get pitched multiple times a day and all that stuff, like your story looked good, and I think I even said to you, I said, dude, if there's a commercial angle here, you need to tell me, and if there is, you're probably not getting on the podcast, like... So it's just like, yeah, this is legitimate. And it was legitimate. I checked and just having that discussion and you confirm, it just removed everything and now it's just a win-win conversation, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and look, I think, you know, as you said, you're in a position where you probably do get pitched a million times and there's people with businesses and stuff that want to use this to leverage this platform. So you can sort of understand that there would be, you know, a certain level of skepticism, but I think also you know, you've acknowledged it as well. Like, you know, you've acknowledged mm. that you do sort of have that level so you can at certain points look beyond it, um, you know, and I, I think that's an important thing. Like, yes, you know, you may have that initial scepticism about something, but but acknowledge that you are being sceptical and, and put a framework around how do I decide, you know, whether this is authentic or not and move mm. past it if it is. 
Yeah, and like one of the mottos I've got with all the commercial deals that I do, you know, I'm only into genuine win-wins, like with staff, with contractors, with sponsors, like it's got to be more than the money, right? And it goes back to that transactional vibe, like our dealings have to be more than the money. It has to be more than this race to the bottom. Um, Anyway, I'm ranting a bit, but I want to ask you, I've, I've written down a few things. Just going back, like how many siblings do you have? So I've got a brother and a sister. I'm the oldest. Right. So there's, there's three of us, yeah. And going to an exclusive private school, is it safe to say that your family has a decent amount of wealth, um, like your parents? Yeah, look, I, I think um, uh, today, sure, you know, you, yeah. you'd probably classify that. Um, but I think my, my family's journey is pretty interesting. I don't know if you want to go down down that Let's route. go there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, um, I actually wasn't born in Australia. I was I was right. born in India. Um, you know, for all intents and purposes, I'm, I'm Australian because we moved here when I was one year old. Mm. Um, but when we moved here, like we, we were way, way out in, you know, southwest Sydney uh, first. We sort of bounced around a couple of places short term because um, my parents didn't know anyone or, or they sort of knew some friends of their parents, uh, you know, who'd migrated to Australia, but it was a pretty sort of kind of lonely time. And um, my dad is, and I'll say this unbiasedly, like arguably one of the most intelligent people you'll ever meet. Like he, he uh, is a master's in chief engineer in uh, marine engineering. He's a master's in uh, applied finance as well. And he was chief engineer in the Indian Merchant Navy over in India. So wow. he, was, he was, you know, doing really well. But um, him and his- Could he engineer me a- barbecue stand for the back of my boat. <laughs> oh, I'm absolutely sure he could. He, he just got one for himself actually recently. He bought himself what did he a get? finally, a, a Riviera um, 30, 36 or 43 foot actually. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah. So he's, uh, he's, he's sort he's of semi-retired now. So I was going to say, yeah. he's earned that, let yeah. me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I was interrupting. No, no, that's all right. So, so he... Um, uh, so it was, a, it was a big call for my parents to to come over here because they had a pretty comfortable mm. life over there, um, you know, in in India. Like, you know, they weren't the super wealthy, but they were um, they, they were doing well for themselves. But I think they sort of recognised the lifestyle that you could have in Australia versus uh, versus India, um, and so they made that move and they came over here, and it. It took a while for, for them mm. to find their feet, you know. Like, as I said, we came here when I was one. My brother was born three years later. And I think that's around about the time that they actually bought their first house, which was a, you know, brick three-bedroom house in out in Greystains. Um, mm. And I have the fondest memories of that house. You know, there's nothing special about it at all. But I have the fondest memories of that house. And I think subconsciously is because I know that it's when my family sort of really set down roots in Australia um, mm. and, you know, for my dad, he, he had to go back to university to get some local accreditation here. So he actually went back to Sydney uni locally here and, and, and did his, um, did the master's courses in finance. And, um, it was a struggle for him to get, uh, get work, even with his background and his level of knowledge, you know, at that time, um, without being sort of too contentious, it, it wasn't that easy for a migrant Indian um, in, in the corporate business workplace uh, to, to actually sort of get recognised. On, on that, like anecdotally, just from, you know, your parents moving to Australia and on the, you know, if trying to get work on one hand for your dad, it's either we don't understand, we 
don't have the exact role for you. One side, the other side is just extreme blatant racism. Like what's your experience been with the racism piece and is it getting better and easier and is there less ignorant people? Like what's your experience been and what would you say your parents would say? Yeah, look, I I think we'd probably have two quite different views. Um, Mm. You know, I think my my dad, I think he's still got it in his study somewhere. It's like over 150 job applications that he actually sent out at that time and was rejected from from all of them. And eventually when he actually went down the path of starting his own business because he, he wouldn't uh, wasn't able to get a job, he actually had to partner with uh, with an Aussie bloke who's, you know, friend of the family, but he was a six foot two, like, Former former rugby player type uh, type guy, so that they could get meetings and, and walk in the room. <laughs> what what they call the business chalk and cheese or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was called CFM Group or yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway. But yeah. Um, but yeah, like like that's that that was his sort of initial experience. And mm. look, uh, things have come so far, you know, since mm. since then. And I think for me, I was educated here. I grew up here. Um, you know, my, my wife says that I'm more Aussie than most of the Aussie people that she knows. I love Mara and Williams and I've got an Akubra sitting uh, sitting yeah. in my shelf. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty Aussie. But, well, um, but, you, but this is the thing. You are Aussie yeah, and that's, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's, um, anyway. Yeah, and look, I'm, I'm very proud of my Indian heritage. Like I'll, I'll never denounce that. If you, if you saw my wedding, you'd know how proud I was of my Indian heritage. But, um, but yeah, look, I, I wouldn't say I've experienced it overtly, but I I, I, st- I do still think in in certain situations there is a bit of an undercurrent of mm. um, you know sort of intolerance or, or, or racism that uh, that does occur. But you know I think we're moving in in a in a really positive direction, and and a big part of that is the globality of uh, of business. You know, like mm. we're we're seeing uh, people of different ethnicities leading global businesses. You know, Sundar Pichai is leading, uh, is the CEO of Google. You've got Satya Nadella, mm-hmm. CEO of Microsoft. Like, we've got these people, um, you know, in the public eye consistently and, and that's almost sort of normalising it a bit more. Mm. Um, yeah, well, thanks for that um, deviation because I just always want to use my millennial money for good and if we can always have conversations that sneak up on people and, you know, just have a bit of a sense check and pulse check. That's awesome. But I guess going back to that um, question around the family, like your parents obviously worked very hard to pay for private school. Yeah. Uh, They saw the value in that. Was there expectations on you to be something? Um, Look, I think, um, you know, my my mum and dad have always been very pragmatic about sort of who the three of us are, um, you know, as people, where our strengths are. And out of the three of us, you know, no problem saying, like, my brother was the golden child growing up. He was um, – and when I say the golden child, I don't just mean academically. Like, you know, I thought I was good at footy and I thought I was a good runner. He'd come and run a second faster than me and make first grade at, uh, at school. So, um uh, but you know, I was I was also super proud of that. You know, seeing sort of seeing him come through. I think he was probably the first Indian kid at uh, at my school to play first grade footy. So yeah, um, wow. <laughs> but but yeah, my parents are very pragmatic about sort of who we are, what our strengths were, and and kind of you know where we were hoping to go. And the one thing that my dad always instilled in us was, I don't care, you know, what it is that you want to do. One. Mm-hmm 
be honest with yourself and to do it with an insane amount of passion. Mm. Um, and it actually, even though that was drilled into me for, for such a long time, it actually took me a lot longer to actually absorb it and, and act on it. Whereas, uh, you know, I look at my brother, he got into medical school. He did three years of medical school and he sat down with my parents and said, I don't want to do this. I, I don't mm. want to be a doctor. And even though, you know, you'd think that's every parent's nightmare, my parents were great about it. They said, all right, like that, you know, we, we understand that and um, we will we'll take that on, on board and take your word for it that this isn't, that you've given it a go and this isn't, you know, where, uh, where you want to go. But, you know, don't let yourself down now. Don't walk away from this and sit around doing nothing while you figure yourself out. Make a plan. Mm-hmm. And, and he did, you know, six months later, he was enrolled in an economics degree and um, he just graduated and he's got himself a, a job in property as well, actually. Um, yeah, wow. And they were the same with me. You know, when I changed, when I came to them and I said, I don't want to do my business degree anymore, you know, I'll just work, I'll figure it out. They said, no, they said, you, uh, they're very big on education. They said, you're going to finish your degree. We don't care what it is, but do something you're interested in and, and go out and, you know, get that piece of paper and um, just create a bit of discipline as well. Uh, yeah, and I think a lot of the time, you know, people have said to me over these, it's like, well, sure, the degree to some point didn't mean that much when I saw it on your resume, but I knew you were disciplined and applied and you could actually get something done. Absolutely. Um, but what I'm going to do, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to go turn my oven on because I need to preheat it to 200 degrees. And then we're going to come back and I want to talk to Niall about how he got a high, high income job at age 26 and started to party and blow all that money. So we'll be right back after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Mid twenties, earning a hundred and eighty grand a year ish. Like that's a lot of freaking money. Uh, you said you were, you know, partying it up the wall. You know, buying clothes. How good would life be back then? Right? Like had all the money in the world. You're in your twenties. What's the problem? Right. So what was the transition to you know uni, working for these tech companies, earning big money? Like what were you doing in those roles? Yeah, so I finished, uh, well, I wasn't even finished uni, actually. I was, I was about 23, I think, when I first started. And I was like working in the Apple store, um, you know, out of Castle Hill. Uh, enjoyed that. And, and I thought, you know, I've got all this time. Like uni at that point, it was sort of the back end of my degree, wasn't taking up much of my time to the point where I could actually do it like outside of core business hours. And I went, let's just have a look and see what jobs are out there. And I, st- I still remember it. It was on Seek. I saw this ad for, uh, it was like a, a digital sort of SEO uh, Australian startup. And all I saw in like block capital letters was $75,000 a year salary and my eyes just lit up because at that time, you know, my, I was making a few hundred bucks a week selling wine or, you know, when I was at the Apple store, sort of casual casual hours. But um, I saw that and I just went, you know, whatever. I, I'm, I've always been a pretty sort of confident, sometimes overconfident kind of guy. So let me just send in my, uh, uh, my resume and see what happens. So 
they've called me and they've gone, I want you to come in for an interview. I had no idea what they did, what this role was even going to be, except that it was sales. And from my experience in the Apple store, I went, I'm pretty good at selling stuff. You know, I sell computers and stuff every day. I like talking to people. Let's see how we go. And I remember the sales manager sits me down and he goes, this is what we do. We sell SEO and, and website development to micro businesses. And I'm going, the hell's a micro business? He's like, yeah, basically like where they have one to five employees at most. And what I didn't realize is it's basically like mechanics, tradies, uh, florists, you know, these small businesses. Um, and he goes, part, part of the interview, you know, we're not expecting too much, but we just we want to see what you like making a cold call. And the aim of this is to book a meeting. Like, don't think you won't get the job if you don't, but just see if you can organize a meeting for, for next week. And uh, I remember I called up this florist and um, I think it was his daughter who answered. And uh, I said, oh, so-and-so there. Uh, she said, yeah, yeah, I'll put him on. And and I, I think he probably didn't even understand half of what I was saying. He was, a, he was an older bloke. Um, but, Gosh. you know, I'm, I'm doing this spiel about how I want to optimize his website and get, you know, more business in his door. And I said, yeah, can we can we organize a meeting in front of your computer half an hour next Tuesday? Um, and I didn't realize he had me on speakerphone. And obviously his daughter was was there. And his daughter goes, yep, okay, that sounds good. Let's do it. Uh, and I just went, great. I couldn't hang up the phone fast enough. And the uh, sales manager, he's didn't say anything he sort of just pulled me back in the interview room and he goes mate that was you know probably one of the best like interview calls uh i've had with anyone in this company do you want to start next week and were you like yeah i even threw in a box of wine (laughs) (laughs) i should have actually would have been would have been more comfortable (laughs) yeah um, so I started the next week and, and mate, it was, you know, you, you circle back to what you're saying earlier about the, how brutal cold calling is. This was eight o'clock to six o'clock every day calling, making about a hundred to 120 calls a day, you know, getting told to F off and, and a, a bunch of other sort of choice language all day in the hope of getting someone in front of their computer to sell them these services. But for some reason, and I, I won't put this down to skill because at that point in my career, I didn't have any skill. I was just good at talking. Um, I did really well. And then, you know, mm. as a top sales rep there, I think probably 10 out of the 12 months that, that I was there. Um, and I just leveraged that. I, I, you know, the business wasn't doing that well after about a year of me being there. And I could sort of see the writing on the wall a little bit that it, it maybe sort of... Um, you know, going the wrong direction. So I put some feelers out and happened to get a bite from a recruiter who was recruiting for a job at Google for a, for a contract role in sales. And and again, you know, call it cocky or overconfident, but, you know, I just said, let me throw my hat in the ring and um, went in for, I think it was like five interviews um, for, for the role at Google and, and and ended up getting that role. And it's sort of you know, you put Google on your resume, most tech companies are willing to have a chat with you um, after that. And I think it was it was a combination of me being a little bit ballsy and sort of putting myself out there, but also just sort of trusting my instinct when it came to, um, you know, selling relationships and, and just having a chat with people. Um, and that's what I mean about what you said before about sort of sales and, and connecting with people. I've never bought into... Um, that idea that you know you've really got to 
push beyond three times they're saying no or, you know, read from this script and this is the master script that'll get you a yes and persuade someone, you know, that real Wolf of Wall Street method. I just don't buy into it. Like Question, when you first did the um, SEO pack to small businesses, do you think the underlying product you were selling was actually helpful and beneficial given that you, you really didn't know what you were stepping into and then you learned about it more? Like, Yeah, look, I, th- I think... I think that was part of the reason I started to become a bit disillusioned with the role. Like as as I moved through, you know, you you go in and um, you sort of peachy keen, and you believe that everything you're selling uh, is doing what you say it's going to do. Um, you know, the naivety of of a salesperson, I guess. Um, but I, I I don't necessarily believe that it, they actually achieved the results they they did, and, and I think that started to wear on me as well, you know, as time mm. went on. I'm, I'm selling this software or, or this development to, to people um, and, you know, going thinking back on it now, I'm going, did, did these guys actually get any business out of this? And, and mm. I, I do actually feel a bit bad about it, to be honest, uh, when I think back on it. Yeah, and because I think with sales and, you know, a lot of people listening are in sales, like, if you fundamentally believe in the product that you're using and fundamentally believe that it does benefit people, you don't have to sell the product. You just need to educate people enough for them to make their own decision. Like, I just think sales, it's a, it's a fantastic thing. And, you know, I, yeah, it's, it's just wild. So you're with Google. How long, you know, did the income really start to ramp up when you hit those big US tech companies? Yeah, so I went to went to Google. I was earning pretty decent money. I think I was on about ninety k there. Um, and and what I did, I was on a contract role um, with Google. And um, you know, I I didn't necessarily like the environment of Google. And, and that's you know that's nothing against the company. That was that was a, a me uh, my personal experience. You know, I know people there who loved it and have been there for fifteen years. It just wasn't sort of the right vibe for me. Um, and and the type of personality I think that I have, but what it allowed me to do again was sort of just leverage it into the the next company, which was uh, which was Cisco, and that's where I really sort of found my feet, you know, in the in the tech world. Um, working at Cisco, I had a great team around me, and I was selling, you know, some some really big deals uh, when it came to software, you know, upwards of sort of three million dollars in in a hit, and 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 that's where the money sort of started to really ramp up because that's when you get into the world of uh, obviously commission in the first place but once you get past your sales targets you're on accelerated commission so you know if you go from 100% to 120% of your target you might get one and a half times commission if you go over 120% of your target you might be getting double commission and mm. so you know I'm I was seeing paychecks come in every month and I'm just going how is this real I'm like 25 mm. 24 25 years old like mm. um, is this is this actually happening kind of thing uh but I wasn't equipped to know what to do with it. Yeah, um, yeah it, it just wasn't. It wasn't something that I'd ever really been taught, and it, I always found it to be a bit of a taboo subject. So I did what I thought I should do, which was spend it and enjoy it. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> and like, so, do, would you say you're a spender by nature? Then you know. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm. Uh, I think I've, I've sort of always been um, that way. I think even even since school, um, I've I've always liked nice things, mm. um, and it it took me a while to actually own that. 
you know, I think there's a real stigma around liking money or liking mm. fancy things or nice things. But I've really sort of embraced that, but also embraced what's required when you have, you know, that sort of taste or those sort of interests. Yeah, and I think it's more about quality than the nice thing because often like you said you like RM boots, like I've got RM boots. I don't like them because they're expensive. I like them because they're good quality and I think that's the correlation. Uh, So I think what we're going to is um, spender or saver that you probably do lean towards more of a spender, um, but you've learned how to actually harness your income, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, you know, the the idea of investing, not buying, and, and when I say that, I don't mean, you know, putting your money in the stock market or real estate. I mean, even something as simple as, as like you said, you know, a pair of boots. Do I go out and buy the $500 boots that are super high quality, really well made, and once I have them, are going to last me for 10 to 15 years? Or, you know, do I go and buy a $99 pair of boots off ASOS or the Iconic or something that I'm mm. going to have to buy every year for the next 15 years. Yeah, it's it's seriously, yeah, it's uh, it's it's just a judgment on you know what you value and you value quality and you know and the good thing with boots they kind of go with everything and they're you know it's yeah I don't want to get into fashion, <laughs> but uh, so you did the whole corporate thing and for those who don't know Cisco, you know they do high end enterprise comms, networking, you know, it's it's the big end of town. That's what Cisco is. Um, what happened in March 2020? March 2020, yeah. So, obviously COVID. Mm. <laughs> COVID happened and, and the writing was, uh, was sort of on the wall for me at that point. Now, I think it had been building up for uh, probably more than a year. I, I left Cisco actually um, – at the back end of, I think, 2017. And then going mm. into 2018, I joined this cybersecurity company. Um, I didn't join them because I was interested in cybersecurity. I joined them because they were offering me like 190 grand package to, yeah. to join. And it, <laughs> Are there it, any jobs going? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah but, but that's that, that was solely the reason I joined that company. And mm. I think about it now and I'm like, you idiot. Like uh, I was in a decent financial position I had a good amount of savings, and um, you know we were we, we were trucking along nicely, my, myself and my now wife. Um, and I think I just I made a snap decision. It was leading sort of into Christmas, and a recruiter contacted me, and I made this snap decision. Even though in my gut I knew something wasn't right, I knew that sort of gloss and shine of earning all this money in the tech world, you know, was kind of fading. But I just took the job anyway, and. 10 months later, I was out of there. I, I just, mm. you know, I couldn't bring myself to do it. I wasn't interested in it. Um, you know, it, it just, it didn't suit me. And lo and behold, I did it again. I, instead of instead of actually having an honest conversation with myself, I went and joined Zoom. Mm. Um, you know, I went and worked for Zoom because, again, they offered me a great amount of money and I went, oh, yeah, Zoom, cool technology. Like, um, you know, it's pretty interesting and I'm going to get, stock options and stuff like, yeah, I'll, I'll join mm. them. Um, and I made it a year, you know, I got, got my stock options, some of my stock options vested, but I think, yeah, le- leaning into that sort of COVID time, I was reflecting on, you know, what do I want to do? Where do I want to go? And I didn't actually have all the answers. I just knew that I didn't want to be doing 
what I was doing at, at that time. And I sort of used cashing out my stock options as um, as a bit of a catalyst. And, you know, for those listening at home, I, I didn't become a millionaire overnight or anything like that. It, it wasn't a huge chunk of change, but it was enough to, you know, be, be comfortable for a few months. And, and I just pulled the pin. I had no mm. idea what I was going to do, but I, but I pulled the pin. Um, and I remember sitting with my mum and, and with my wife as well and sort of talking through it and going through a few options. You know, having my own business was always um, an appeal to me. Looked at a few ideas in that space, but as things with COVID sort of ramped up, I I saw a huge opportunity um, to re-educate myself. And when I think about, at that point when I was thinking about what I love and what I go out of my way to spend my time researching and, and kind of educating myself on privately, it was property. I loved property, so interested in it, but I'd never been I'd never really understood like what sort of job I could have in property. You know, I didn't mm. want to be a real estate agent because I play footy on Saturdays and I don't want to give up my Saturdays. So <laughs> I, I didn't want to be a real estate agent. I, I wanted to do something else and I said, all right, let me have a chat with my dad. He's been in data centers and real estate for 30 plus years. And he said, yeah, look, I think it's it's a good space for you to be in. Reach out to a few people. I've got a couple of contacts in the industry that you can speak to go and meet with them, have a coffee with them, see what they say. And I went and uh, met one guy in particular who's uh, a guy named Richard Butler, 72-year-old stalwart of the property industry. He's, he's old school. He's been doing this for, you know, 40 years. And um, he sat me down. I won't use the language that he said, but uh, in, in a roundabout way, he basically just said, go and educate yourself. You've got a good pedigree and, you know, I'll, I'll help you throughout the way. Um, and he, he said, you know, you can go to UTS, you can go to Western Sydney. So the next day, went to Western Sydney uh, website and I found postgraduate certificate in property. Again, I had no idea what I was actually going to study. I might do that. I'm going to look that up. Yeah. Sorry. No, I'm no. Just making right. notes. Yeah, go for it. Um, I mean, I don't have time, but I'm going to look it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, uh, so I had a look at that and and I went, all right, cool. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to learn about property in this. Now, what the hell am I actually going to do with it? Because again, I don't mm. want, I didn't want to be a real estate agent. And the more I sort of looked into it, what started to appeal to me was this idea of property funds, you know, kind of taking investors' money and, uh, you know, investing it on their behalf, but with the underlying asset actually being property. And it was two things that I loved, you know, making good monetary returns and mm. the, the business of real estate, the tangible business of real estate. So I actually went and doubled down on educating myself and enrolled in a postgrad diploma of applied finance at Macquarie University. And I went, sat down with my wife and we did the maths and did the budgeting and said, how long can we last with only her salary if I study full time and double down on this? And what does she do? So she works in HR or learning yeah. and development, sorry, which yeah, sits, sits under the HR banner. So she works uh, at the time she was at Citibank. She's now with um, Domain Group. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So we, we sat down and we we audited everything and and like i'm i'm a bit of a um spreadsheet fanatic like i love to spreadsheet mm. everything i spreadsheeted our wedding you know just just everything so i went through our bank accounts and all the transactions and line by line just went what have we spent money on and did the totals and went okay you know, with a little bit of contingency, this is how much money is our minimum threshold that we need every single month. And these two courses are going to take me give or take 12 months to complete full time. We can make this work. 
as long as I get a job in the first six months after I finish, we can make yep. this work. And, you know, to her credit, I think she was a little bit nervous about it. But, you know, she said, if this is what you really want to do, you know, go and do it. So, what you're saying is with a bit of time in the trenches in the world, working out what you don't like, working out what you maybe do like, coupled with a bit of strategy and direction, coupled with a bit of a like plan within that strategy, coupled with a risk as well, because you know you had to take your your wife on this journey with you because it then became our journey, not yours. There was it's just a big magic pudding of you know some of these key things that we always talk about, right? And then sprinkled some passion all through it. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think it's it's when I think back on it now, it's no different to any other investment decision, right? Like mm. you're just investing in yourself and, and the reward at the end of it is, is a chance to move into a career and a change that you're super interested in and something that's going to get you excited uh, about waking up in the morning. Um, and, and I think the key to all of that in a nutshell that I've probably discovered in the past 12 months is don't bullshit yourself. Um, you know, ju- just I spent that six, seven years in tech trying to force myself to love the tech world and to love sales and, and uh, you know, love what I did every morning. But the reality was is, you know, come Friday, I was just so happy to not be there. And mm. everyone loves the weekend. I love the pub probably more than others, but I was spending a little bit too much time there to get away from, um, you, you know, the, the working environment. So, what you're saying is the the big lure of dollars is almost uh, it's not sustainable long term for your own pursuit and happiness, or I don't know, is that what we're saying? Well, look, look, I think you know I was told from a very young age, don't chase money, don't chase money, mm. and I never bought into it because uh, you know, as I said, like I'm very interested in money and I love money and I want to have a lot of it, but mm. I think. What I've understood over time is that it's uh, don't just chase money. Just add, yeah. in, add in that extra word there. If you want a more than comfortable life and, you know, you want a nice car and a nice house and you want sort of fancy things in your life, that's okay. First, be honest about it. But second of all, don't just chase that. Find an avenue for how you can chase the money but enjoy the path to getting there. And I think that's that's really what's sort of come to light for me now. Like I've taken a salary that's 50% of what I was earning in tech. Yeah. But I also know the long game of the industry that I'm in. I'll end up earning significantly more than than I did in tech. And, and I make no illusion about that. I'm still chasing the money. I'm mm. just chasing it in an enjoyable race. Well, and I think as well, I always say like, you know, at times – You've got to remember the bow and arrow. You know, sometimes you've got to, when you pull that arrow back, it, the arrow is probably thinking, uh, what are you doing? I'm supposed to be going forward. Like, oh, stop going backwards. And then the arrow releases and then it just, it's a process, right? And at the moment, if you're the arrow and your career is the bow, like you're going backwards, but it's going to be worth it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. At some point, like you've been in the current role four or five months, at some point the arrow is going to be let go. And 
I don't know, I shouldn't get into the analogy business, but we're here now. Uh, yeah. So you're with a, um, a, a property group and what are you doing day to day? Are you doing like um, due diligence on new potential deal, commercial and industrial things for, you know, unlisted property funds or for a REIT? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. So, I, I can't say too too much, I no. guess, about the, the, the business of the company, but uh, I guess my, my role in a nutshell is, you know, I evaluate uh, new development sites for, for the property fund. So, mm. you know, Charter Hall, um, you know, guys can can go and look up, you know, what they do, and and I work within the industrial team there in terms of evaluating new development sites that'll contribute to uh, to the funds. Yeah, yeah, very good. Well, I mean, we've been chinwagging for almost an hour. Is and I just think it's a fascinating, like, overarching looking at people's story. Um, can I ask you just a couple of random questions? Yeah, absolutely. Shoot. What do you think the best thing you've ever done is? Could be anything. Best thing I've ever done. Marry my wife. <laughs> Good answer. Smartest decision I ever made. And what's your wife's name? My wife's name's Olivia. Olivia. Well, hello, Olivia. And thanks for listening to this. And yeah, we appreciate you uh, and everything you do. What would you tell your younger self if you could go back time to like when you were 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself to trust your gut. Um, I think the the biggest mistakes uh, I think I've made throughout probably my whole life, but in particular, you know, through my 20s and leading up to where I'm at now is when I've gone against my gut instinct. Um, you know, it's I don't really know how to describe it, but everyone's got that feeling when you, you've got a big decision to make and you kind of know mm. in your stomach what the right one is and, and you choose whether to go against it or not. So that would be my number one would be um, trust your gut and take care of your gut as well in terms of how many beers you drink on a Saturday night. <laughs> and two last questions. Um, do you guys do anything with charitable giving, donations? Where are you at on that spectrum? Yeah, look, no, nothing consistently, but it's mm. it's definitely something that um, you know I think we're we're looking into. Um, we're sort of at that point in our lives where you know the kids' conversations happening, and and we're sort of looking at where we want to go in kind of the next ten years. And and I've always I think had that uh, in me in terms of wanting to give back a little bit. It's just about sort of finding the right avenue for it. Um, you know, in particular, a charity I've been looking into a lot. Um, recently is um i think it's called the railway railway children um which is uh, a charity out of india that looks after sort of kids from the street uh and then tries to sort of place them um in the in the care of, of parents that you know can look after them um it was actually inspired by uh the guy from the movie lion i'm not sure if you've seen it i have yeah fascinating yeah yeah and finally uh, because I think our internet's about to fall over. If you want to say anything else to finish this episode, um, you know, anything else that you would like to say that we didn't let you say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I think the biggest one for me is is that honest relationship with yourself. Um, you know, really do, don't BS yourself in terms of where you are, who you are, you know, have an honest conversation with yourself and, and, and do that regularly. Um, you know, I think there, there might be a lot of layers there that have been built up over the years of you telling yourself that you're good at something or you're not good at something or you like something or you don't, you know, sort of try and 
break away from that and, and have that honest conversation about where you are and, and, and where you want to go. Um, and, and probably finally, it's sort of a, a mantra that I live by a little bit, which is don't ask, don't get. You know, I've, mm. I think I've been able to achieve and, and get quite a lot of things in my life just by simply having an honest conversation with other people and just asking for it. And you'll actually be surprised how many people are actually willing to help you when you just ask for something. Mm. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, amazing stuff. And particularly the story with that gentleman who kind of used as a bit of a sounding board mentor, you know, even asking uh, someone for a coffee to bounce some stuff off can just change everything. All right, we will leave it there. Niall Kuma, thank you so much for, one, listening to My Millennial Money, being part of all we do, being an encouragement for many people listening. Uh, I certainly have appreciated this conversation and your time, so thank you so much, and I wish uh, yourself and Olivia all the best for the coming next 12 months and more. Fantastic. Thank you, mate. Thanks for having me. It's been great. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Cyber Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.